0: What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Outlier Circle podcast. I am extremely excited for today's guest. I had met today's guest over at a Tony Robbins Platinum Partner Meetup out in Beverly Hills, and I was talking to one of my friends, and she was like, "Who kind of, what kind of guest are you looking to get on?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm looking to get this kind of person on, you know, really to help out, you know, young entrepreneurs, someone who has like, you know, a wealth of experience in business and can help." Uh, provide some kind of value She's like, oh, you gotta meet Peter. He has like the craziest stories. So immediately, oh, I actually was introduced to Peter by my friend's husband. His name is Russell, really, really great guy. But Peter and I really hit it off and he was just talking about some really crazy stuff. So I'm very excited for him to hop on here today and add some value and um, just and share some laughs, really, just have some fun together. So uh, Peter, man, much appreciated. Thank you for hopping on today. Oh, you're welcome, Greg. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and chat with you and uh,
1: just I hope I can inspire at least one member of your audience to go out there and, and find their, their whatever it is and grab it. And
0: make it theirs. Beautiful, man. So let's, uh, let's get started, man. What actually kicked you off on your entrepreneurial journey? <clears throat>
1: Well, uh, as you can hear from my accent, I come from Australia, down under, and uh, I was just an average kid growing up. Uh, I I come from a family where, like I was taught, you know, you want to go to school, get a college degree and uh, get a job and stay in your job and build up your nest egg for retirement and that's it. And then I had a couple of uncles who were different. And one of them was a, uh, I guess he was a cartoonist and he, he uh, used to do like satire cartoons in, in newspapers. And he was also a teacher and educator and he always got me thinking differently. And he would tell me like, uh, so why do you believe that? Maybe there is a different way of uh, looking at things. So he got me thinking about being outside the box. And then I had another uncle who was in business and I guess my my family kind of didn't look up to him because he didn't have like the uh, the college degree or anything. He was just like a self-made person. But uh, it's kind of like you know someone who was in business and entrepreneur was like kind of like lower down on the rung and uh, wasn't didn't didn't have that status. But he would just tell me like, uh, yeah, you know what, you can. Uh, you could actually get out there and do X, Y, and Z. And, you know, you basically, you don't need much. You just go out there and, and you can do stuff with, with nothing. It's just a matter of just thinking differently. And here it was again, that think differently. So, so I had these influences who were telling me you can do things differently and think differently, but I was like that good student, wanted to please my parents. And I kept treading down that, that, regular path and I went to college and I got it actually got a degree in city planning and started as a city planner and was bored out of my mind it was just so much bureaucracy and I was 24 and all of a sudden the things that my uncles were telling me started to kick in it's like you know what why are you doing what you're supposed to be doing? Why don't you just get up there and do the things you always ever wanted to do? So that was when I just said, you know what, screw all this. I wanna, I wanna be a, uh, an actor, I wanna be a model, a musician, I wanna work in a bar. So I, I left that kind of uh, government government work I was doing and I, uh, I got a job in a bar and I, I used to play the sax in, in uh, like elementary school and then beginning of high school and I said I'm gonna start playing the sax again so I got one I started playing and I, I started getting into some bands and I was uh, doing some acting modeling and, and a whole bunch of things and I was I was just loving life it was just absolutely fabulous and um, and then I I found myself in a band and, uh, we got a, a, uh, a management deal in LA. So it was like, okay, we're leaving Australia and we're going over to LA. So we moved over to LA and here I was in, in LA. Um, and that again was, I was, I was kind of like along for the ride because I wasn't really, Commanding my own destiny. It was just I was part of a part of a group, and I was just going along for the for the fun of everything. And we were gonna be rich and famous and everything. And uh, and uh, it didn't quite pan out like that. A lot of things don't. It's not until I guess you actually decide to to um, to create your own map. And plan and then um, and then get it get it to, to work out for you rather than just sort of being there with with other people and and wanting to, I guess, come up on the coattails of them and crossing your fingers and hoping everything works. And I'm talking about you've got record company executives who are telling you what they want you to do and Basically it's 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 their whole thing and you're just basically like a pawn in their game. So it was it was at that point when when I said, you know, music is I love music and I, I was making music, I was also doing stuff as a DJ and I said it's such a hard road and I just didn't have a clearly defined path to actually making it financially. That I decided that I'm going to keep music as my passion, my love, something that that is going to um, just fill me up. But I'm not going to use it as as the thing to make to make me money. So I was doing some graphic design. I was doing some posters and and some record covers for. Um, for a couple of different bands. And then I found myself actually doing work for record companies. And it was at that point when I said, well, I'm making a lot more money from doing my graphic design, which I just kind of fell into, than actually making music. And the minute I kind of like turned that around and I took that pressure off actually making money from making music, I actually did start to make some money from music, but it was kind of like it was. Uh, it was more. Um, I wasn't wasn't into it then for the money. I was into it more for the just the, the creativity and and just the the joy. But I I ended up being a, a you know graphic designer in the music industry for about twenty something years. And I worked on a lot of. A lot of uh, album covers and marketing material for a lot of bands, a lot of artists, and uh, it was kind of kind of great. I got a whole like a bunch of gold and platinum records on my wall, but not from making music, from from doing artwork and marketing stuff, and uh, um, that that's really kind of cool. Like I look at I look at those every day, and I go, oh my god, I can't believe like I was able to, to do that, be part of all of these different projects. So that was, um, that was an interesting part of my life. That was, that was phase two. So there have been a lot of phases. Let, let me put it that way. I, uh, you know, and I, I think you can relate that, uh, you know, that uh, there's just so much that you can do in life and why restrict yourself just to one path? So I, I've taken a lot of paths and I'm, I'm happy to share more of those paths with you.
0: Yeah, so how old were you when you started doing the graphic design for like in the music industry?
1: Uh, I would have been about 26, 27. So how it happened was I was in a club. It was, um, it was back in the, uh, I guess, late 80s, in in Hollywood and I was in a club it was a Halloween party um, the club was it used, used to be called the palace but then it became the Avalon and I met this lady and and uh, she just said to me listen um, if you want to come and help me out in my design studio she said um, that'd be cool just um, you know because I told her I was pretty good at photography and I I I told her a little bit about my background and what I'd done. And she said, yeah, come and help me out. So I went to help her out basically for very little money. And then after a couple of months, she said, you know what? I'm like really bored. I want to go go over to London for a couple of months. Can you manage my design studio? It's like, "Uh, yeah. She also said, here, you can have my car and you can have my, you can live in my house, like right on the boardwalk in Venice Beach. It's like holy shit! It was kind of crazy. I ha- I mean, oh my god! It, it just it was great. And so I stayed with her for, for um for a couple of years. And so I I got my ins to a bunch of record companies. And um, at that time, uh, CDs were really were big. But there was a lot of stuff on like vinyl and cassettes that needed to be converted to the CD format. So I remember um, I, one of the first jobs I had was um, taking the, all, this, all these Motown um, covers and artwork and having to take like the artwork and, and reformat it so it fit on CDs, like for CD packaging. And it's like, uh, and they gave me all these old like pictures from the archives of all these Motown artists. And I had to basically like, sort of like scan them and then resize them and recreate the um the cover art for all these Motown uh artists and uh it was that was kind of
0: kind of cool. Wow so this girl she stayed in London for a few months and then she came back to her house and then did you get kicked out or did you stay there during that time?
1: No I I I moved out Uh I moved out somewhere else and uh so I kept doing that. And then, um, and then I moved on to, uh, oh, actually no, before that happened, uh, I was getting married and, um, and I had a best man in Australia. And I said, listen, you're coming over to, uh, to my wedding, which was gonna be like, uh, this is like right at the end of the eighties. The this is like just before 1990. And so came over to the wedding and got married. And then he said, you know what, listen to this. There's this online, not online, it's a telephone service in Australia. Um, and what you do is basically people pay money uh, for, for information or jokes or whatever. And I think they got the same thing in America. And I'm thinking, you know what? Let's, let's do something like that. And I said, sounds fun. Let's do it. So then we came up with this thing called Dial in Insult. one to insult So we got together. And I, I talked to you about this. This is, a, this is a really funny story. So we got together and we just wrote a whole bunch of insults. And then we recorded them uh, about three, four minutes worth of like insults. And then uh, we put it on a phone line, and we had a deal with one of the phone companies, and we put some ads out there, and it started working. And people were calling up and to listening to these insults, and um, and and you know we started making some money from that, and then it started to blow up, and we started doing TV commercials, and then I wrote a song called the Dial and Insult Rap. <laughs> and uh, recorded that and then we were on MTV and it kind of went like, if you're having a bad day, it's about to get worse. There's a guy called Sultan who's waiting to curse. When you dial up, he's gonna cut you down, gonna let you know that you're nothing but a clown. Anyway, so that was, that was kind of the, the gist of it. And then, then there'd be all of these, all these uh, insults like, uh, you know, you, you're so ugly, they had to die tie a uh, pork chop around your neck to get the dog to play with you and just uh, I mean just the stupidest things but people loved it and uh, that worked really really well for about probably about a year and a half and uh, so I, I created this uh, like cartoon character this guy and we used that for the TV commercials so he'd be he'd be uh, like just insulting people and saying you know, uh, I, um, be amused by being abused and uh, just all of these things like it's, it's, it's kind of lost me now it's like it's like a whole other world to go but uh, so that was great and then we tried a thing called dial a compliment because he thought let's see if people want to be complimented didn't work people love to be insulted so that was kind of kind of cool. And then I had a falling out with my partner and then, then we left that. And then I ended up uh, traveling for, for a number of uh, months and then went back to Australia for, uh, for a couple of years. Actually, I was waiting for my green card to come through. And then um, the green card came through. And then uh, my wife and I at the time, we, we came back to America and... Uh, Basically, it was like starting all over again, but um, this time around, my sister was a fashion designer, and she actually was doing fashion forecasting for a number of companies, so she'd write this report, so she'd be going around basically like a spy, and and so she would be basically telling companies what's going on, what's working, what's at, what's What's happening in the streets of New York, London, Paris, whatever? So she'd come up with all these concepts and, and sell them to sell her reports to companies. So she was saying what's basically going to happen in future seasons. So we got together and said, like, why don't we why don't we put out a um, a, a line of clothing, uh, which we did. But let me just rewind there. Uh, I, was, uh, I had a friend I was doing some design work for who was also designing uh, clothing. And um, so I was helping him with just some, um, some uh, just icons and logos for his, for his clothing. And he would give me clothing uh, as payment and I'd wear the clothes around and people say, where can I get that stuff from? So I actually started selling, selling his clothing. It was a line of clothing called Sirius. And uh, we go to New York and do all these shows there. Um, um, We go to all these streetwear um, events and sell clothes and do uh, fashion shows. So I'm thinking, okay, it's really, really easy to to sell clothes. Everybody wants his stuff. So it was working for that line, but when my sister and I put our own line out, it was tough. I mean, it was just really, really tough with uh, with uh, um, dealing with the customers who were like the store owners and the um, department store owners. So that was, you need a really, really thick skin, I believe in, in the fashion business. It's, uh, it's, really really grinding and it just it totally ground me down it was uh it was a really really tough business and some people make it some people do it but uh I think the thing to do is to just have one focus like if you're if you're doing if you're making t-shirts and just almost like pick one design and just focus on that one design that you absolutely love and just push that one design, because everybody's telling you to start diversifying and and why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? And I think the problem in my life was I listened to too many other people and I didn't really listen to what was in here. So I was influenced by, by what other people wanted in so many different areas of my life. And especially in fashion, like, you know, I'd be with someone in New York who was gonna buy like a lot of clothes and they'd say, well, you know, these tops and these dresses are fantastic, but we need pants, we need you to make the perfect pants. So it's like, okay, yes, ma'am, we'll do that. And no, it doesn't work like that. You gotta just really have a strong focus of what what you wanna do, what you're good at, and just stick to that and don't, don't look to the side you can take advice it's great to take advice but but i think that's that for me was i guess the most difficult part of everything i ever did in that i didn't i didn't uh, just look within and say this is what i want to do this is this is my my zone of genius I'm just gonna stick with that and not do anything else
0: so yeah so how long did it you take it take you to learn that lesson how long were you going about that oh geez <laughs> um that's probably something i learned
1: only in the last say 10 years it took took a long time to learn that and even then i i was always a people pleaser i wanted to to say yes to everyone I want everyone to like me, but you—you you, you soon realize that you—not everyone can like you. It's just—it just doesn't work like that. Life does not work like that. You have to—you have to put yourself first. It's like they say when you're when you're in the airplane and there's there's a possible emergency, like um, even before you put the oxygen mask. On your kids and your family, you put the oxygen mask on yourself first, and then you go about doing your stuff. You got to look after yourself first because no one else is going to look after you. So, yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, you know, that's a a lesson that I'm learning just as far as listening to what's in your own heart because it's so easy to be influenced and to listen to so many different voices mm-hmm. and and they sound great and sometimes they talk like they know more than you do because it sounds like when they speak with certainty yeah can't Help, but be influenced like oh yeah,
1: yeah. okay yeah. yeah yeah
0: so how long did you work with the clothes with your sister on like how long was that project for
1: Uh, probably about, I think we did like, we started out with a, a summer season and then we did a, a fall season and then we did a, a spring season and then that was it. It was like three seasons. Like I'm done. I'm like ground, ground into the ground. It's kind of like someone's really excited about, about your clothing line. And then they order a whole bunch and you're kind of like, yay. So you go and you, you sweat over the stuff and you make the stuff. And it's not, hard, not easy because everyone who's doing something is, is making mistakes. So you're like basically losing money. <laughs> and then you get the stuff and whatever, and you send it out to a place by UPS. And then UPS says, oh, they didn't accept it. What? What are you talking about? Well, we went to the store, and they said we don't want it, and it comes straight back to you. And we got so many boxes back. So all of these, like all of these stores, would would like they order clothes from all these like small small companies, and then they they get the stuff. The stuff would be made and be sent out, and then then they decide oh well we've ordered all this stuff but we're only gonna like go with this one this one and this one it's like they screw you like we were totally screwed so so um the company that i was like doing the work for before serious like I, I didn't listen to the advice that they had basically they were like all the department stores wanted their stuff but they said, no, we're not dealing with department stores because there's so many, so many restrictions and you don't get paid for like months. They said, we only take cash. So they would ship stuff to stores, but they would make sure they get the money up front. It's like, okay. But again, it comes back to that thing of like me wanting to please people. So I'd like cut corners and say, we'll give you what you want. We'll give you what you want. But no, you have to be really, really focused and strong and just stick with your principles. And if you want to survive, you have to have like high standards and you've got to stick to them. Because once you start cutting corners, I mean, there's sharks out there who are just going to take advantage of you. So...
0: Yeah. yeah, man. That, that's a very, that's a very, very powerful lesson, man. Very powerful. So after you close that down, because what I see here is like it looks like you one thing like one conversation. It's like it's a very fun adventure that we're following here. So, so what does it look like for you after you guys decide to shut that down?
1: Um. Oh man. Uh, it was. It was really yeah. tough because I was. I was married, and I had um, a young child, and my wife's like, you know, like um, you got to get serious about it. we need we need money. Got to bring stuff in, and I was also playing music and uh, playing sax in a in a like in a in a let's see in a in a reggae band, in a funk band, and um, you know, it was all fun. You know, there was always um, there was always something going on, and she said, "You know what? You gotta, you gotta get serious about stuff. You gotta um, get back to doing your design work. You know, that's that's where that's your bread and body. You gotta get back to doing that. But by that time, a lot of things had changed, and you know, it's kind of like like anything. If you're away from something." you especially with computer programs and stuff you gotta you gotta learn the latest stuff and get back into it so i i registered with a a temp agency and they said well you better get like super good at all the different um like design programs and stuff like, you know photoshop InDesign, all the adobe things so i just went worked on that stuff practiced uh joined this agency and The first job they offer me is in the music industry (laughs) It's like uh, with um, uh, EMI Records, which is like a big English company that owns, uh, they're like one of the big, one of the big uh, recording corporations. So it's like, I'm back in the music industry again. It's like, okay, I took this break, but I'm kind of back there.
0: And how old are you at this time?
1: Um, I was probably like 33, I think, 34. And the first thing I had to do was, this is crazy. Um, they said there's um, they're re-releasing all these Beatles albums and they need just all the merchandising stuff for to, just to promote the Beatles. So it's was like, what? I'm doing stuff for the Beatles, what? <laughs> So um, that was kind of cool, and then there was like, oh uh, yeah, we're doing something with the Rolling Stones. So okay, Rolling Stones, um, and it was just I, I started doing stuff with all these like all these dinosaur bands, and then I for I guess that kept going for the next um, I guess I was working from well, I ended up it was a temp job for a while, but I ended up um, coming back as a basically as an independent. And then I, I started, I was doing a lot for them. And then I, then I started doing a lot for um, the Warner Music Group, Warner Brothers and Atlantic Records. And then, uh, then I ended up going to um, a company called Rhino Records. And uh, Rhino was bought by the Warner Music Group. So, and what, what Rhino was doing was, uh, it's called catalog. Any music that's more than 18 months old is called catalog. So once once it like let's say a song comes out and it peaks up there and then then sales start to go down, you gotta figure out a way how to keep the momentum going. So that's what catalog is all about. It's like taking like you know hundreds or thousands of artists, songs, albums that are sitting there in the vaults. And trying to figure out ways to get them back into the public eye, so I work with a lot of you know marketing teams and publicity teams on 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 doing that. So, and a lot of it involved, uh, you know, an artist is going on tour, so you want to promote all their old stuff as well. So there's just a lot of, um, just just creative, just just ways of. Um, figuring out how to just to get, get stuff out there to the public so they buy more records. And uh, it was actually, for me, it was, it was really, really steady work. I did, did it probably for, uh, let's see, probably about another 12 years of that. It was really steady because I also did stuff with new artists. But with with new artists, it's always hit or miss. You know, everyone's like, "This is going to be the next best thing," and nothing had come from it. But with the with catalog, it's like, okay, there is this track record of, of um, you know, there's this whole history, and you may not get those like those big like, wow, everyone's like into this, but you get, there's just, um, they're just fans. They're just like solid, like crazy fans who just love certain artists and stuff. And whatever comes out, they'll buy or they'll they'll want to hear. So, so um, Catalog was just really, really steady for me. And uh, I mean, i work worked with a lot of, a lot of, uh, well, not so much the artists. I work mainly with the record companies and the managers, but sometimes you know the artists needed approval um, for certain things. So, you know, it was really cool when when I I did something and then I got acknowledgement from like whoever the artist was. Like, yeah, we like that, that's really cool. And then they'd send me a personal note. So that was pretty cool. But um uh things kind of changed when everything went digital and that is you know because when i when i first started doing the music stuff there were there was vinyl and it was like you had this really nice canvas to work with and then it went down to cassettes and then cds and then it went down to like your little one inch square itunes or spotify little things so uh, became really small and um, it just became less about um, giving like a, just a beautiful product that someone could hold and touch and like open up and read about. It just became more about just having like a little thing. And I guess it became more about the, the song by itself, not, not everything that came with it, which... Um, a lot of people started missing and that's what vinyl started making a big comeback.
0: Yeah. I think, I think Richard Branson talks about this in his book. I think it was his cousin or something like that. Like who was a really big music fan. And if I remember correctly, you're talking about how music was a whole experience, yeah. like, you know, taking yeah. out the vinyl and everybody just sitting together and then you would listen to the music, just hanging out, like, and experiencing it together at the same time. Like that's, that's yeah. fascinating.
1: Yeah. Yeah. that's that's um interesting you say that my my son I have a 22 year old son I got a 25 year old daughter and a 22 year old son and a 12 year old daughter but my 22 year old son is a music producer and he plays like I mean the the guy is just like a genius on every single instrument he picks up he just but he just works. He just spends his time, but he will bring me in to listen. And, and um, I guess he's like, he's kind of like, he, he loves the seventies and the sixties um, music. So he'll, he gets really excited when he, he's got, he's got vinyl. He's got, uh, he's got turntables. He's got everything. So he'll bring me in and introduce me to like old stuff. He's, he's really into listening and bringing people. He gets his friends all in and they all sit and they all listen to stuff. So, um, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. And he's, he's actually influencing me because I guess when you get caught up in a lot of stuff, you, you, you lose that luxury, I think, of just chilling and, and having like a listening party. Um, saying yeah I'll listen to it later don't have time don't have time but um, to to actually like that would be really cool I think just to to say okay we're having a listening party on this day at this time this is when we're going to do it and uh, you get people together and that's all you're doing just listening
0: yeah wow dude that's really cool so throughout all of this when does Tony Robbins start to enter into the picture? Good question.
1: Probably, probably around the time when, when I was doing the clothing line and I was feeling really, really low, like, like nothing's working. And then I'd heard about this guy and I got these CDs. Uh, I think it was called Unleash the Power Within or something. And I just started listening to these CDs and I hear this guy kind of like shouting at me, like, it's it's over you, it's in your mind. And I'm just listening to this guy going like, okay. I mean, i heard that, that he says some powerful things. Uh, So once I got used to his style, I started listening and I kind of got into it, but, it didn't really, it didn't really affect me. Didn't really, you know, it didn't do much for me. I guess maybe at the time, Tony Robbins didn't resonate for me. And it wasn't until, I guess I met my, my wife now, who we got married in 2006. And she introduced me to Tony Robbins again. And, uh, and i i can't remember when but she said let's let's go to a live event and going to a live tony Robbins event is is nothing like listening on a on a cd i mean the guy is just he's so powerful so powerful and and that had a had a huge effect on me um and if you, if you just want to see what he does, there's a Netflix documentary called I Am Not Your Guru. And uh, you, you get to look, I guess, behind the scenes at, at how he interacts with people and how he helps people. And there's like this whole huge team he has that supports him and supports everyone else. Uh, so we, yeah. So yeah, we went to an event, and then and then my wife Monique says, "You know what? I want to join basically Tony's uh, Platinum Partners, which is like a, a group that that um, goes to every event. Plus, there's like special events just for the Platinum Partners, and it's a shitload of money. But she said it's going to elevate." elevate our thinking and because the thing is you know it's like if if you're ever inspired by someone else um someone who speaks to you you know you feel it and you you kind of like yeah 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 but then you go home and you go you go back to your own life and it starts to dissipate and you lose that that uh that feeling so we thought, okay, well, we want to keep this generated. So we want to keep it going. So if we basically are in this whole ecosystem and we have constant events to go to and we're with all these people, then we can, we can there'll be this kind of synergy and you know, where everyone's raised up and everyone's operating at this, this higher level. And, and uh, so that's what we did. But uh, then we were going to all these events and then, and then COVID hit, and that was the end of the live events. So, uh, but we're still, we've still stayed with um, uh, the group of people. Um, So it's, uh, you know, Russell and his, and uh, Renata, and uh, all those people that you met. And uh, I mean, they're just, I mean, the, the, the people who are in this group are just, they're, they're incredible thinkers. They're thinking uh, at, at, at such a high level and it kind of pulls you up too to start thinking at, at that level too. And it's not just about how to get yourself ahead, it's, it's how, to, how to get the world to be in a better place. I mean, there are people talking about, you know, how we can solve world problems and tony robbins is is kind of at the forefront of that his his aim is to is to feed a billion people so he'll also, he'll often say you know like we we have uh, served so many millions of people with food this year and next year and the aim is a billion so i guess tony tony is tony has such a huge heart his his yeah, the guy is just not he, endless energy. It's like no one no one is like Tony Robbins. He is just like this, he's a superhuman. He is absolutely superhuman. I don't know how he how he does what he does, but he just does it. And if if we can all be like a quarter of of, of what he does and what he is, it's like, wow, that would be mind-blowing.
0: Yeah. Nice, man. So yeah, one thing that I Talk a lot about you know is that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. I have been fascinated with getting into the right rooms, meeting the right people, mm. adding value to the right people, connecting people, and just like to just to be around the level of thoughts because it's really like it boils down the level of thoughts you have determine the the actions you take, and the actions you take yeah. consistently yeah. determine yeah. the results that you get. Yeah. And I'm curious as far as like now, the Tony Robbins platinum partner group has really helped you out. Do you have like a specific story, maybe having a conversation with somebody and made, made a connection or something that maybe has happened just that's really taking your life to the next level because of the platinum partners?
1: Um, I can't think of exactly one, one example but what what I do now is I'm, I'm a real estate investor. And, I mean, I could tell you the whole story about how, how all that came about. Um, I mean, in a nutshell, uh, Monique and I started watching those shows on HGTV, Flip This House, whatever, and we started thinking, okay, well, we can do that. Yeah, you could do that. They can do it. We can do it. So we we bought a house and we, started, we fixed it up and – and then we sold it, bought another house, fixed it up. And so we, we started doing that and realized it's a job. It's like any other job. You know, you you have all your expenses doing that. And then you, uh, you uh, at the end, you get your money and you pay off your credit cards and you move on to the next one. So we were thinking, oh, there's got to be a better way, a better way of doing this. And we thought, well, yeah, we'd love to like, buy a fourplex or something and, and have rented out, have rent coming in, but it's like in LA, everything's so expensive. And I I mean, I'll get to a Tony Robbins uh, thing in relation to real estate, but um, we just weren't exactly sure how we were going to do it. And this is about 2016. And then we met this guy who told us, well, first of all, Have you ever thought of investing outside of LA? Like, live where you want to live, but invest where the numbers make sense. And have you ever thought of using other people's money, OPM? And we're like, what? You mean like you can do that? Really? So he said, yeah, he said, you know, we're having a seminar on, on on how to do this. It's called syndication, where you basically, it's like crowdfunding, where you, you crowdfund and you, you bring in a, a group of investors to purchase a larger property, and everyone basically has a share in that. So that was what we started. We started to learn about that, and then we figured, well, We need to be around people who, number one, have the funds and the inclination to start investing in real estate. And we thought, okay, well, definitely in this Tony Robbins world, there are some people who are like hugely successful. And obviously, when people are successful, they have money they want to invest. So we thought, okay, well, if we're in that group and, you know, that surrounded by the people who, who, um, we want to interact with and maybe have as investors then uh, that's what we would do and that's that's kind of one of the reasons why we wanted to to be in that group so um where am i where am i going
0: now um <laughs> yeah, where the plat- going? <laughs> <laughs> yeah the yeah the plats with with real estate oh right um, right uh huh
1: yeah, so uh, it it's actually kind of cool because you know we, we started meeting people who were actually doing a lot of big things in real estate. So it was inspiring to 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 see people who were who were doing stuff, and um, it's interesting how a lot of a lot of people we met were they used to be like professionals in whatever field they are in, like someone might've been a doctor, someone might've been an accountant, someone might've been a, a plumber, someone might've have, might have been, um, you know, whatever they had their profession. And then once they, they, they realize that there's more to life, they want more time freedom. They realize that investing in real estate can actually free you up of your time. So really, when when someone says I want to be financially free, that that's more to do with time. It's not so much to do with the money because you can have all the money in the world, but you'd be like working a thousand hours a week, and you're not really financially free because you can't do anything with your money because you're just so busy in your in in your work. So so. Having time freedom is, I guess, is the goal for for a lot of people, and we we found that that a lot of people in the in that Tony Robbins world, you know, were coming from these professions that were just eating them alive, and they realized there's got to be more to life than this, so they were moving into different areas where where they could, uh, you know, maybe be investors. In different things, and then that gave them the freedom and the, the time to actually go and go to go to Tony Robbins' events, or spend more time with their families, Absolutely. or or work on their passion projects, which might be to feed people, or 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 build a build villages, or whatever. So um, there there are. People who, who have a lot of these projects going on in, in the group who are trying to uh, create something better for uh, whichever, whichever whatever is their
0: focus. Yeah, and I think just being around those kind of people first gives you that belief and also being able to talk to those people because those people also want to meet you and they're happy to help out. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's incredible, man. Yeah, yeah. So- Um, you know, I'm cognizant of of your time here. One thing that you did mention when we were talking and, um, when we first met, you mentioned that you would bounce from thing to thing throughout your life. And, you know, looking back, you feel like, you know, I'm actually like a renaissance man. It actually worked out in, in my favor. Yeah. So, um, could you speak to that as far as young entrepreneurs feeling like maybe they have to figure everything out right now, feeling the pressure, like I need to stick to this thing and that's it. Like, what advice would you give as far as being on the other side of trying so many different things and how you feel about that?
1: Yeah, all I can tell you is that no experience is ever, ever, ever lost. Everything that you're doing, everything that goes in here, in here becomes part of you. And you're creating this unique being. And the more influences around you that you allow in the better you're gonna be at whatever you do so go out and try things do things you know if you're if you're you have people around you who are saying no 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 you can't do that it's not gonna work stop listening to family members stop listening to love lovers stop listening to well-meaning friends just go out there and do stuff. Uh, I guess the good thing is you can you can get into different forums online, and you can start talking to people who have interests, and who they don't have any any um, they don't have interest in you like like friends and family do, where where they see you a certain way, and you have to appear to them that way, and if you if you start changing, they're going to get pissed off. So if you're interacting with people online who who are doing things you want to do, and and you know you can share things there. There's kind of no, they're they're less less holds on you. So so it's kind of it kind of gives you a freedom to go and explore and learn and. I'm telling you, I mean, there's just so many things you can do, and I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do next, but uh, I, I mean, I love doing real estate investing because we're, we're helping a lot of people actually because we're, we're, uh, you know, we're able to put these projects together and help teach people. Uh, how to do things and most people are just passive investors but they like to see what's going on and I, I think we're, we're helping people achieve that, um, that, that time freedom so that they can they can stop working in their full-time job if they don't like it and they can have passive cash flow coming in and they can go off and do other things and, and learn new things. There's no, I used to think, well, you had to do everything by the time you're 30 or by the time you're 40. And that ruled my life. It's like, oh, I'm too old. I can't do that. It doesn't happen when you're It's like, I'm 62 now. And it's like, I see people who are doing things in their 80s and 90s it's like it blows my mind there's no there's no end to anything it's just it's just how you feel inside it's like when I was when I started running marathons when I was in my 40s I'm running along and there's three ladies must have been in their 80s like they overtook me I'm like I I, there was a like a a drink stop and I I said to them like you know how old are you how long have you been doing this and they said well we've been doing it all our lives we just can't stop we just have to keep going if we stop doing this we die so it's kind of like that for me is inspiring seeing like older people doing stuff and they're doing it better than you it's like it's it's crazy so I hope to keep doing stuff and um there is no, there is no end to anything. If you see a glass ceiling, it's just made of glass, just smash through it. Uh, they, I, you know, I hope, I hope in our lifetime, there's, there's, there's um, less and less uh, just restrictions on people, whether gender, race, religion, Uh, I hope we'll see a time when 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 anyone can do anything and it's slowly happening in certain in certain areas it is happening where where I see you know uh, for instance in in real estate investment when in 2016 we we first my wife and I first started going to these events to networking events uh, it was all all men and my wife looks at me. She said, "This is kind of crazy. There's like 200 men in the room, and there's nine women." She said, "This is like an old boys' network. This is like, this is crazy." Uh, so, she we went back to the the went back to the hotel after that, and she went to the gym, and she's like on the elliptical, and she said, "I had this divine download that that I have to." help women become real estate investors just to teach them so that the room will never look like this all men and it's slowly happening her 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 mission is to to help 1 million women become financially free so that uh, pretty much they can help their families and their communities and the world so that's what She's doing. Her organization is called Real Estate Investor Goddesses, and uh, I'm I'm a big part of that. But behind the scenes, I um I'm not female, so I'm like uh, I'm I'm her support. So I support her fully in in helping women.
0: Man, that that is incredible, Peter. Um, thank you, man. Um, is there before we you know end here today? Is there any last words? you know, that you would like to say to the young entrepreneur, I know you just covered a lot right there. Uh, but there's anything, maybe you feel like, Hey, you know, you want to maybe reiterate or maybe something new, um, maybe just like, all right, this is it. Or do you feel like that was,
1: well, there's one thing I'm burning to say, and that is you are incredible. You are amazing. I'm so happy that I met you. And I'm so happy that, you're in my life. And I I feel that you have like you, you got this coil inside you, this coil, it's just gonna like, brrr, it keeps you going. And I think that you are going to have an amazing impact on so many people. So anything I can do to help you reach people, uh, I'm happy to help uh, any way I can. So
0: that's what I wanted to say. Man, I, I, I greatly appreciate you, Peter. That is that is incredible. Thank you, man. I, I really do appreciate that. And I'd love uh, to to chat more with you over, you know, about marathons and stuff. Like I really, really love that stuff. So when we you know meet up at some future plat events, um, again, thank you, man. So where can find where people where can people find more information about real estate investing from you or your wife or um all that? Okay,
1: so I'll start with with Monique, my wife. Uh, you can, if you're female, you can go to reigoddesses.com. That's R-E-I-G-O-D-D-E-S-S-E-S.com. A lot of educational programs. She has, uh, you know, there's a Facebook community where you can just, just just get in community with different women, see what they're doing and, and just get educated. Um, for me, you could get in touch with me at um, uh, the business is called Vineyard Investment Partners. Uh, and the, the uh, website is IP- assets assets.com. Uh, so, my,
0: Can yeah. you repeat that? Because I think the very first letter kind of blocked out. So can uh, you repeat that, the meaning from? B-I-P
1: dash assets, A-S-S-E-T-S dot com. So you can go there and you can uh, join the investor club and, and uh, you can even get on phone call with me. We could just chat and just uh, see where you're at, where you're coming from. And, you know, as, as I said, uh, I think I talked to you about this. Um, real estate is a team sport it's you can't do everything off and there are different kinds of capital and if you've got one of the forms of capital everyone knows about is money if you don't have money then you may have time if you have time there's time to learn stuff time to help out with stuff or if you have an expertise if you have uh, something that you're good at then you can become part of team and, and you, can, you can give your capital that way. Or you might be a great networker. You might have a network. You might have someone you know who's really good. And just by bringing that person in, that's your, your network capital. So everyone has some kind of capital where they can be a part of something and bring something to the table. Beautiful,
0: man. Well, again, Peter, thank you so much, my man. And uh, I'll talk to you, everybody, soon. Thank you. Thanks, Greg.